This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. I recently posted two bonus episodes to my Patreon account. First, for my indie bookstore series, I interviewed Olivia Miletus Morris, owner of Litchfield Books in Polly's Island, South Carolina. We spoke about her store, which she purchased this year, the fabulous movable feast events that they host regularly, and how the store decides what to carry. She also includes some great reading recommendations. For my Bookstagrammer series, I interviewed Bree of Sweet Honey and Bree and Kate of Bookopotamus about their accounts, tips for asking publishers for review copies, and then they do a deep dive into books about food. I've already purchased two of the books that they recommended and loved both. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast by joining my Patreon group. I greatly appreciate the support. If you have not yet and want to learn more, the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast. Today, I am chatting with Nicole Bart about everything we didn't say. Nicole is the mother of five children from four different countries. The co-founder of a nonprofit organization, One Body, One Hope, she lives in a small town in Iowa. She is the author of 10 novels, including Everything We Didn't Say, You Were Always Mine, and Little Broken Things. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Nicole. How are you today? I'm great, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really looking forward to speaking about everything we didn't say. Thanks. Me too. Well, why don't we start out with you giving me a quick synopsis for those that won't have read the book yet? Absolutely. Everything We Didn't Say is the story of Juniper Baker. She's a special archives librarian in Denver, Colorado, and she returns home to her small Iowa hometown uh, ostensibly to help an old friend. But really, she's there to solve a double homicide that happened 15 years ago, and she hopes to win her daughter back. 
Well, how did you come up with the idea for this one? I was so curious. You know, it, it's kind of hard to remember back that far. I've been working on this book for over three years and I've rewritten it completely from the ground up three different times. So the genesis of the story is uh, I've been trying to remember where it all came from. And really the only thing that I can come up with is a story from my college days. So when I was in college, I had a brief romance with a guy who worked at Yellowstone. He was a ranger and he used to spend his days just tramping all over the park, I guess. He slept in tents and he didn't even have a cabin or anything, but that was before the days of, of cell phones and constant communication. So we wrote each other letters back and forth and he would always put something from the park inside the letter. So one day I opened up an envelope from him and inside was a sprig of juniper. And there was just something about the smell of it. And it was just this really, really interesting experience that stuck with me. And I remember thinking I would love to write a story someday about a character named Juniper. So that's where she came from. I was so curious about the name because it's not a name you encounter very often. So I'm glad you've already answered that part of the question. <laughs> yeah. What about the mystery aspects of it? I mean, the the murder, the brother, all of that. Like, how did that come to you? Or if you don't remember exactly how it came to you, how did you develop it? Yeah, absolutely. So now that I'm writing domestic suspense, I used to write contemporary fiction and you don't have to, you know, think quite so hard about how a mystery is going to come or not at all how a mystery is going to come together in writing those books. It, it really does take some intentionality and some planning. So one of the things that I do is I, I just scour cold case sites. I know that sounds a little bit morbid, often because I'm, I'm gripped by these people and their stories and trying to figure out what happened. And one of the things that I can do as an author is take a story that's unfinished like that and give it resolution and make what I hope is a beautiful, hope-filled ending out of something that, that started very bad. So I remember researching uh, different cold cases. And I came across one about a gentleman in Iowa whose death was ruled an accident, but his family didn't believe it. And they worked really hard to try to find justice for him. And, and I don't think that they ever did, but that's where the story came from originally. Okay. That is so interesting. And what about including the podcaster? I just love this trend of, of podcasters, especially true crime podcasters showing up on books lately as a podcaster myself. It's really fun to see that happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am a total podcast junkie. Like I listen all the time and I, I listen to everything. But one of my favorite guilty pleasures is obviously true crime podcasts. And uh, yeah, I, I love to to walk that journey with the podcasters and, and try to solve uh, the crime. So it was really easy to stick that into the book because it was something that I was just really passionate about at the time and honestly still am. It seems to be such a popular thing. I mean, people just love true crime podcasts and all walks of life people. You know, it's just kind of funny. I'll be sitting at a baseball game watching my son and the person next to me will be gasping. And I'm like, what's happening? They're like, I'm in the <laughs> middle of this true crime podcast. You know, yeah. and you just kind of see it everywhere. And then have you watched Only Murders in the Building? No. Sounds like I have to, though. Oh, it's so good. It's the new show with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez, and it's on Hulu. Oh. And that last episode just dropped this week. And it is about these three unlikely friends who come together because there's a murder in their building and they create a podcast. It's really, really good. I think I would love it. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. But clearly true crime podcasting and just true crime generally is something that appeals to a lot of people. It's definitely having a moment. <laughs> yeah. Did you have to do much research other than the cold case files? Not for this one. I I live in a small town and my mom actually works at the city office. So I have known the town police officers since I was a very little girl. And I kind of have, yeah, their phone numbers in my back pocket and reach out to them whenever I need to, to ask questions. So I, it's been really helpful to have them. 
I, I guess that's the extent of my research for this one anyway. Was it fun to set a book in Iowa since you live in Iowa? You know, I have set all of my books in Iowa and that's really intentional because I, you know, they say, write what you know. And I, I don't think that you always have to do that. But for me, it's really helpful to be able to intimately describe the setting um, what the air smells like, what it looks like when you step outside the door. And of course, I, I know small towns. I know the people inside of small towns. And I think that there's just a lot of really interesting stuff to mine there. Absolutely. And I do feel like when I read a book by someone who has been wherever they're writing about or lived there, they definitely represent it better than somebody that hasn't ever set foot there. Yeah, I think so too. Do some of the towns people sometimes say, oh, is that me in this particular story or any of that? You know, I, I have gotten a little bit of that more teasing than anything. I, I work really hard to keep um, my characters, their own amalgamation of, of unique characteristics and quirks and stuff. But I think from time to time, people are like, oh, I think you got that from me, but it's never intended in a hurtful way. I hope that they feel honored. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I definitely didn't mean bad. I just more <laughs> yeah. meant, you know, people always want to see themselves in books. So I just wondered if you had people saying, I think that might be me. Yeah. Every once in a while, for sure. That's fun. Well, everything we didn't say was a book of the month pick for October. That had to be so exciting. Oh my goodness. It was thrilling. I, I actually got the email when I was at the pool with my kids and my son's girlfriend was sitting next to me on the chair and I, I opened up the email and I just started screaming and jumping up and down. And she's like, what is wrong? What's going on? She thought, <laughs> she thought something horrible had happened. And no, I was crying because I was happy. That is just so exciting. It is. It's, it's really exciting. Terrifying. Of course. I'm scared that people are going to read it and not like it, or they're going to wonder why was this a book of the month pick? But I, I think those insecurities are probably pretty, pretty understandable. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially in this day and age where everybody feels like they need to broadcast their opinion about everything everywhere. Amen. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. It really is. Well, what about who your favorite character and least favorite characters to write? Absolutely. Specifically in this book, I had the hardest time writing Juniper's parents. Rebecca, she goes by Reb, and Lawrence, he goes by Law. So Law and Reb were really hard for me to write in a lot of ways because they aren't, they didn't represent characters that I know in my own life or that I have intimate knowledge with. And I didn't really understand their relationship, even though I had seen that sort of relationship on, on numerous, on numerous occasions. So I, I struggled with them a little bit. It was, it was hard to get inside their heads when they were so opposite from what, what I am. That makes sense. Well, what about your favorite character to write? I loved writing Juniper. She was just really fun to get to know. And the book jumps back and forth between present day when she's 35 and the past when she's 19. It's the summer she turns 19. And I am much older than 19. And yet there are many days that I still feel about that old. <laughs> I can remember with vivid clarity my, my college years and, and those summers when, when you were young and the world was you know spread out before you. And it was, it was just a lot of fun to write, particularly those scenes. I bet. That's a fun time period. Yeah. What about the title for this one? How did you come up with that? Oh, Cindy, I am the worst at titles. I'm terrible at them. <laughs> and I, I try multiple different ones. So we had gone through several variations of this book. And actually, it was my editor that came up with this. She lifted it from a line inside the book after she had read the final copy. And we all liked the way it sounded. And that was that. I think it's fun when it's lifted from the book like that, because then you get to that portion of the book and you're like, I know exactly where the title came from. Yeah, it makes sense. It does. And then you can connect it up and be like, okay, that is totally why this book is called what it is. Yes. Yeah, exactly. What about the cover? How did it come about? 
you know, I don't get to design the covers. I really don't have any say in it other than I can send some comp covers to um, the design team of things that I like. And then they come up with a couple of concepts. So the cover that is out right now that you see was, was the final iteration of that. But we went through several different ones, some with women on the front. And yeah, it, it's really interesting to see where that all comes from and, and where you end up. It really is because it can either be exactly what they sent to you originally, or there can be a whole long process for what the cover eventually looks like. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I'm always so curious to hear how it's come about what went into it, if you had thoughts, if you didn't have thoughts. And I think on thriller covers, it's really particularly interesting to see because I think there's a little bit more latitude in terms of what the cover is going to look like. Oh, for sure. I really had no idea what direction they would go with it. And I I ended up really liking it. I, I like the colors. I think it looks good. I agree. I think it seems to fit the book. Thank you. Are you working on anything at the present that you'd like to share with me? I am. I'm in the process of writing my next book. It is as of yet untitled. Uh, but I just returned from a research trip in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, it's going to be set on Lake Superior and on the North Shore. And I have just fallen in love with that place. I, I love the Midwest, but there is something about Lake Superior that reminds me of the East Coast. It's very, very Maine-ish almost. And yeah, maritime. So yeah, I'm super excited about that one. Uh, it's going to follow the life of an Instagram influencer. Oh, good. See another thing. Podcasters, Instagram influencers. <laughs> yeah. So pulling right from everything that's happening in our, our world today. Absolutely. Well, are you a plotter or a pantser? When you're working on a thriller, you mentioned you do have to have some idea of where the story is going to go. So do you outline it all the way and do you stick with your outline or do you just sit down and write and then go back and kind of make sure it all works together? How does that work for you? That is a great question. And it has changed over the years. So when I was writing contemporary fiction, it was very much a pantser. Whatever happened, happened. I could kind of go where the wind blows and, and let the story evolve on its own. But now that I'm writing mysteries and domestic suspense, and um, yeah, I think Book of the Month called Everything We Didn't Say a Thriller, it takes so much more planning and plotting. I have to be so intentional with what I write and when. So I really have had to embrace that and at least come up with the major beats. Like, what are the things that we have to hit? Where is the red herring going to come in? Where are we going to, I don't know, have each revelation? So I have definitely been been much more intentional about these books than I was in the past. And you mentioned that you had had to rewrite everything we didn't say several times. So did you do that on your own? Like you got through the end of it and you thought this isn't exactly how I wanted it to go? Or were you working with your agent or editor on that? How was that process for you? Yeah. So I have a very editorial agency. I love my agent and I love the team that I work with there. And the first rewrite came from them. So I, I sent them the original manuscript and they were like, oh, honey, <laughs> I don't think we're quite there yet. It's always a hard letter to get. And yet over the years, I have really come to appreciate the editorial process. And I love it because I know that they're invested in the book. I know that they want it to be the best that it can be. And they know the industry. They, they know what's selling. They know what works. So I really appreciate their input. But yeah, the first rewrite came from my agency. The second rewrite came from my editor. And the third rewrite was all of us saying, you know what, I think we can push it even farther. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with where it ended up. But when I think about where we began, it's hardly even recognizable as the same book. So I'm always curious when people say they outline, because it seems like some people outline and then very closely stick to it. And then some people outline and vary a lot from it. So I guess it just really depends on your process, what works best for you. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting. Everything we didn't say is my 10th book. 
So I think the reason why I ended up rewriting it three times is because I really thought that I had it all figured out. I was like, oh, 10 books in, I, you know, I've got this thing. I know exactly what to do. And I, I kind of took off and, and did what I wanted to do. And it didn't fit together the way that it was supposed to. So when I did do my rewrites, that's when I went back and decided to come up with an outline and a, and a much more intentional plan. Do you feel like you've made a lot of progress and learned a lot over 10 books? Yeah, I, I absolutely. <laughs> Lots of trial and error. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that you never arrive. I don't know, maybe there are some really fabulous authors out there who are much better than me who have it all figured out, but I, I don't. And I want to constantly be evolving. I want every book to be better than the last. And that requires me to continue to hone my craft and and read books and talk to other authors and attend conferences. And yeah, you got to work at it. Do you work with a writing group? I do. Um, I have two friends who are just priceless to me. I would be completely lost without them. They're also authors. And we try to get together a couple of times a year to be together. I, we don't really have coworkers in this field. you know. It's not like we can go to an office and stand around the cooler and chit chat. So it, it's really great to be able to talk shop with people who understand, but also then to talk about our frustrations and, and share our books with each other. And yeah, it, it's, been, it, it's a mind collective that, that works really well when I'm plotting. I would certainly think so. And I think things have changed a lot over 10 books. I mean, I don't know what year your first book came out, but it seems like the publishing world has kind of gone through a variety of changes. So things probably look very different than when you began. Oh, so much. So my first book came out in 2007. And I remember I, I was such a newbie. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't even have an agent. I, I got a book contract without an agent. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know that's crazy. But I didn't even have anybody coaching me through this. I was completely on my own. And I remember asking my publishing house, do you think that like, do I need a website or should I get <laughs> on social, you know, <laughs> right? Right, right. Yeah. And they kind of said, nah, you know, people will find your book through us. They'll, they'll come to the publishing house website. So you don't have to. And to think of that now, like you don't need a website to where you are, to where we are today. It's shocking. Like you have to have a social media presence. You have to have an email list. You have to have a great website. All of these things are just givens. I was just going to say, not only do you have to have a website, but you have to have a social media presence. Yeah. So (laughs) it is amazing how much social media has revolutionized all of that. Oh, for sure. It's interesting. But I also feel like that in a way, because I love Instagram, obviously. And I think it's almost kind of gone back to, you know, there was that kind of middle period where word of mouth didn't really seem to be the way that people found books quite as much, except if you were in a book club and you were literally talking, you know, face to face with somebody. But I feel like with the emergence of Bookstagram, and everybody trading book recommendations that way and posting about books that word of mouth has really taken over again. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, with the whole book of the month thing, I really experienced that firsthand because people received the book and book of the month is huge on bookstagram. You know, people like to do their unboxing mm-hmm. and they show pictures. And so in the beginning, I thought I'm going to keep up with everyone, whenever somebody (laughs) tags me or whenever somebody puts, you know, the hashtag, everything we didn't say, I'm going to go greet them and thank them because, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful. Like I honestly do every single time somebody picks my book, just get a little thrill. Like, thank you. I want to give you a hug, (laughs) but I I can't keep up. There's, there's just no way because it it spirals and spirals and spirals. And yeah, it's exciting, but it's, it's vast. It is vast. I joined in 2016. And just the difference in how many people there are on it now compared to then is just, it's mind boggling. You know, it's just such a a huge community. And I feel like all the time I'm learning about new people that have really large accounts and I've still not encountered them. Oh, absolutely. And 
beautiful stuff. Like the level of art that people are creating is just astounding to me. It's intimidating. I'm like, I'm just taking the (laughs) photo of the book and talking about it. I don't have that artistic component to mine, but it is amazing the beautiful things that people come up with. And the other interesting thing on Book of the Month, in addition to it being very popular on Bookstagram, is bloggers. Like when I Google Book of the Month to kind of look up what the books are for the month, because I I don't participate with it, you pull up a million blogs where everybody's doing what you were just describing, kind of talking about them, what's coming up, what you should pick. So it has such a huge following. Yeah, it's cool. It is very cool. Yeah, it's fun to see books elevated that way. It is. And you know, the other thing that people talk about with Bookstagram, and you just talked about it a little bit yourself, was the ability to interact with authors. And I think that's such a fun consequence of it where somebody might post your book and then you're going to hop on there and say, oh, thanks so much. And I think it's really neat to have that happen. Oh, I, I love doing that. I, I mean, I write to connect with readers. That's that's really one of my goals. So the ability to have a conversation with them and hear you know, what in the story really resonated with them means a lot to me. It's always such an interesting concept as well, because a lot of times authors will say, they will be so surprised by what resonates with the readers. Like they might include something small in there or a character that doesn't have a very large role. And that ends up being the character that people are focusing on or some small aspect of the story that people are so excited about. So it has to be kind of fun after you've written the book to see what it is that people pull out. Oh, for sure. And you know, once the book leaves my hands and starts making it into the hands and homes of readers, it's not mine anymore. It's it's theirs. You know, they get to do with it what they want and they get to interpret it the way that they want to. And I think early on in my career, I used to feel like, no, no, you're getting it wrong. (laughs) This isn't the way that I meant it. And I've really let go of that. I love seeing their interpretations and the way that the way that it hits them. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And I mean, I even find that as a reader, you know, the things that will really resonate with me in a story aren't always what resonates with somebody else. Oh, for sure. Well, on that note, what have you read recently that you would recommend? Oh my goodness. So many incredible books. I am a huge William Kent Kruger fan and his newest lightning strike just came out, I think at the beginning of October, mid-September. Anyway, if anybody has been following his career, he's written several mystery novels around Cork O'Connor. He's a retired sheriff in, in Minnesota, in way in the Northwoods, like by the Boundary Waters. This newest installment, Lightning Strike, uh, is the origin story. So I don't know how many books he's in this Cork O'Connor series. Like it's in the teens. And this one goes all the way back to the very beginning and and to Cork, our main character, as a little boy who's, you know, 12 years old. And it's it's just so well written. It's beautiful. It's it's heart-wrenching. It's a great mystery. And I just love it. I loved it too. I just thought it was beautiful. Oh yeah. I, I love everything he writes. <laughs> well, anything else? So I just started reading a book called For the Wolf by an author named Hannah Witten. And I am just loving it. It's so much fun. I love a little bit of fantasy. I love something that takes me completely outside of myself in the world that I live in. And it's just brilliant and a little dark and yeah, a retelling of, of Little Red Riding Hood. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And it's got a really clever cover. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. It was really fun to talk about everything we didn't say. Thank you so much for having me. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. 
Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.